It feels like Metallica knew that in 30 years there'd be this thing called memes. Hi friends, it's Andriy Vasilenko and welcome to Metallic Geek, where we are over-analyzing our favorite f***ing band. So please welcome the Black Album riff tapes and demos. The Black Album has been reissued with a ton of extra material, but I'm not gonna review the entire f***ing package. These are the songs we have heard before, but the riff tapes and demos, man, that's the gold. Why I'm so excited about this? Because this is how the iconic riffs and songs were born and being shaped. And as a musician myself who writes melodies and riffs on an almost daily basis, I can imagine James, Kirk and Jason, like they're sitting on the couch or in the tour, and they just jam and they have this idea. They grab the tape recorder, click, and they just play it just where the hands would take them. If you write music, you know this feeling. It's like, it's not you. It's, let's call it, musical god. It's giving you the ideas. It's your obligation to make use of it and make a good use of it. You're gonna give them a cool polish and a cool rapping. And yeah, that's how these songs from the Black Album were born. But first, were the riffs. And that's what we are reviewing today. Riff tapes, work in progress, demos, pre-production rehearsals, takes, and rough mixes. That's kind of messy way to order them, and sometimes they are pretty confusing, but we'll get to it. And of course, one and a So if you are into it, get comfy and enjoy the discussion. First go the riff tapes. We have most of the riff tapes by James Hetfield, a couple by Kirk, and one by Jason. They did not put the date when these tapes were recorded. So unfortunately we cannot know the, the birthdays of the riffs, but at least they dug them up 30 years later, wherever they were laying around. Thankfully they survived. Unlike Cliff Burton's tapes, where did they go? Why did they not include Cliff's tapes on Master of Puppets and Ride the Lightning? As well as Kirk's tapes on Justice, what the hell? And what I am especially thankful for, that they found the Jason's riff tape from Misery. And let's start with this one. Misery was his second contribution to Metallica after Blackhand. There would only be three. The third one would be where the where the wild things where the wild things are. My friend of Misery was something that Jason envisioned as an instrumental to continue after to lose to die this tradition. But that did not happen. That did not work out this way. And and actually, after having listened to the riff tapes and demos. Now I'm more sure about why, the very reason why My Friend of Misery did not happen as an instrumental. But we'll get to it later. And the riff tape by Jason is almost 5 minutes long. He seems to be using 8-string bass on it. This is more than the riff we hear in Misery, the final song. And even more than the extended version that we have heard before, that he played live. And he's doing different licks, different melodies, different mini solos and stuff. Essentially, this is a little composition right there. You can listen to it uh, on its own. It's it's really sweet, melancholy piece of music, which the final version of the song contains little of. Then we got Kirk's riff tapes. Three, Sandman, O Wolfenman, and Through the Never. For some reason, there was no Unforgiven riff tape, even though we know that he composed the verse, the heavy part, 
But at least now we know which riffs he did for Through the Never and Wolfie Man. Through the Never, I would never guess, because I would think that's the main riff, but it turns out that's the breakdown. And basically the same as on riff tapes. They did not change a single note there, even the tempo. It's basically what Kuro came up with in the first place. And a wolf and man, that's the main riff. And actually, I did not notice it before. But again, this reissue, these tapes, without the vocals, helped me realize. This song also is based on just one riff. Everything evolves about this Kirk Slick. Just like Enter Sandman. A Wall of Man is basically Enter Sandman's evil twin. But there's one difference, and it's the tempo. On his riff tape, Kirk plays it way faster. Almost like Justice kind of vibe. And yeah, Enter Sandman. We know that the riff that is on the studio version is not the one that Kirk came up with. The one he came up with was 1212 and not 1112. That was the suggestion of Lars to make it really to make it really like jab 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 and right hook, you know? Almost literally, considering the structure of the riff. But the very raw version of the riff is even more different. <laughs> I mean the tail. Kirk plays it. Again, this little improvement makes it really pumping. Kirk told the story that he recorded in a hotel room at 3 o'clock in the morning, so you can envision him there, completely drunk, the riff that would change metal. And the second riff tape, we hear it a bit developing, and including a little bit that would end up on another song, actually. -na 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 -na. Where it was. We can hear it in the verses of Holier Than Tao. On two James's riff tapes. Yeah, from now on, every riff tape mentioned is by James. Said by True. Well, you know the story that it supposedly was written in 1986. Cliff Burton might have heard it, and it waited its time all the years, two albums, and it was not the way we know it. It was way sped up, way, I don't know, bouncy. On this subsequent demo it was a bit slowed down, but the final touch, tuning down, was done by Bob Rock, who suggested to do it, because everything was in the key of E. And you know, Set by True is the perfect example when a song might not work in other circumstances. It's like, it's like when parents try kid for dancing, ballet and stuff, but he's not for that. He's fucking weightlifter. Dead Forgiven, three riff tapes by James. And the main difference is that in the riff tapes, the melody that Kirk is playing is part of the arpeggio. And I mean the very intro. We have a different take on this lick in third riff tape where James plays acoustic. Brum, brum. Also part of arpeggio, but a little different, more like flamenco. But the middle tape, the second one, was really one of the what the f moments on the reissue. Have you ever imagined Unforgiven as speed metal? 
I don't know if it was a serious idea or James was just goofing around, but yeah. And on this demo we meet the infamous drum machine of James, which in my opinion is worth an entire meme to build around it. James was using drum machine all the way back from Master of Puppets for his riff tapes. And it's such a dissonance to hear James's raw riffing with MIDI drums. Especially you'll enjoy it on Holy Than Tao riff tape. Nothing less matters riff tape does not feature just the turn. As the story goes, James was talking on the phone and he just strummed the strings with one hand, the free hand, and he handgapped because he knew he got something. His riff tape for Nothing Else Matters is also like an entire little piece, just like Jason's Misery. And this is such an emotional one. And another what the moment on the reissue is the Wherever I'm a Rome riff. I would never guess that the origin of that Rome riff was like that. But yeah, when you compose a lick, it can be in any key, in any position, and then you just adjust it to a song. And yeah, most times they just transpose it to E. That happened with the Master of Puppets intro, which was on D string, but there's nothing for Metallica in that position. They gotta be the lowest guitar can do. The Gutted Failed is another highlight of the riff tapes. The riff there was not with distortion. But you can still hear how badass it is. It's uh, the matter of phrasing. And the Gutterfeld tape also features a pretty cool moment where James struggled to switch from one part to another. That really tricky part. Ta -ta 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 -ta. Because one riff goes into another, and it feels like it's not in 4-4 time signature, but some, some progressive stuff. And it can be tricky to play first time. And it was so for James upon composing it. And yeah, then just play it and it becomes natural. After the riff tapes, we have work in progress, demos, pre-production rehearsals and rough mixes. The work in progress and demos were recorded all by James and Lars. Well, what's the difference between work in progress and demos? Because they were all recorded between early July and early September. But in general, first go the work in progress. I believe it's like when James and Lars tried to make the songs in the first place. The raw compositions and structures. And demos were essentially to show Bob Rock what they got. And still they go back and forth uh, and the two songs that they got to make the last, it was The Unforgiven and My Friend of Misery. Both were compiled in the late August, early September, while the rest of the album was pretty much there. And I mean the music, because you know in case of Metallica lyrics come second. They got the composition first, then vocal melody, basically as a fifth instrument, and then the lyrics. And before the lyrics come, he just does one and a when an air just to have the reference 
on what lay the lyric, the rhythm, the dynamics, the, the syllables, which is actually the opposite what most musicians and bands do. Because most, especially pop artists, they have the lyrics first, and then the musicians come up with appropriate melodies and rhythm. Yeah, Metallica broke the rule, and actually it may have worked, in their case, the best. Because music comes first, riffs come first, this is the focus of the song. And lyrics and vocals are complementary, even though we know how good of a poet James is. And then he would become also a great singer. And sometimes even the song title comes first. We have these couple words which have their own rhythm. And he includes that in the demo. And that's where the whole lyric comes from. Basically, the song titles are Metallica's and other kind of riffs. And another reference point to know what the hell I'm gonna sing about in this song. Takes are, as I understand it, they play in the studio together while someone's is being recorded. And they put the number of the take there. And it goes from take two to take 47 or 53 or something. So you now imagine why it was so tough, because Bob Rock said, do it once again, another take, you can do it better, and so on, to the point that everyone was so pissed and exhausted, but as you know, the result was worth the struggle. The studio takes they were recording from October 1990 to February 1991 are pretty much the finished composition, with one exception, solos. On half of the songs, particularly Struggle Within, Wherever I'm in Room, I think, Through the Never, Sandman. These are basically the solos we hear on record. But on one song, up until Rough Mix, imagine, Rough Mix is basically the song that was recorded but hasn't finished the polish of the sound, but the takes are the ones we hear on the record. Up to the Rough Mix, one song was not done yet fully. And guess which one? My Friend of Misery. All the way through demo takes and rough mixes, they seem to not know what to do with the harmony section. Each time it was something different and not that epic harmony that we hear eventually. It may be the very section they stumbled upon and which made instrumental not possible. Because it took too long to figure out what the hell we're gonna do there. This is not working, that is not working, it's not gonna happen, it's not clicking. So yeah, basically the reason was they could not work on it any longer. They needed to finish the album, which was killing them. At least we have my friend of misery in that form. The song is based on basically just two chords of Jason, and you gotta come up with different new riffs and nuances to keep you engaged, to not make it just a riff for 6 minutes straight, it would get boring pretty quickly. I cannot believe that James came up with that epic harmony in the very last minute, basically. The rough mix was done 2 months before the album release. So that may have been the very last piece of music they had to record it, the harmony section from Misery. Funny that Jason is playing his bass riff differently on each of the demo. 
and he seems to have settled on what exactly to play right before recording it. And yeah, the guitar riff from Misery, that ta 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 and ta 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 which goes differently to bass line, I thought James came up with it, but it turns out we hear this very melody, ta-ra-ta-ra-ta-ra, in the very first riff tape of Jason. He plays this melody on his very low strings, just pay attention to it. And another thing that these demos reassured me in is that it's one of the reasons why Metallica are so huge. Only Metallica gives away so much of this kind of stuff. They are not hiding like most of the bands. Uh, they are glad to share all the riff tapes or all the mistakes. One or not, man. What other musicians do one or not kind of thing? No, we don't hear it. It feels like Metallica knew that in 30 years there'll be this thing called memes, you know? And yeah, that's part of their hugeness. Always something to talk about, always something to joke about. And there you go, you have this kind of podcast. Go to our website, metalgeek.com slash 34. All the links to all the riff tapes are there. I hope you enjoyed this podcast. You see that I keep it ad-free. No need to pay for it. And if you want to support this, just go to Apple Podcast, rate it with five stars, leave a review, I read them. Thanks for listening. It's Andriy Vasilenko, and hear you next time, friends.